please pray for Kristen on this episode of the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. It's real awkward here without Sarah. Hi guys. Uh got my got my beer, got me and my lonesome. And I got a drunk mystery in history for us. Um oh my gosh, this is real she's real awkward by herself. Um but yeah, I hope we're in the mood for something really that goes right up my alley because it is the month of April. This is my birth month. So I decided that I was going to talk about two of my favorite things. Hope you don't mind. Um, I You already know one of them. Yeah, it is alcohol. And then uh, for those who don't know me, you're about to know me because my second is the disdain for government officials. I'd really hate them higher up powers. Power to the people. <laughs> okay. Done. Cutting myself off and um, hopefully this intro makes it, hopefully it does good. If not, let's get ready because yeah, I am talking about the time that the government liked to poison the fucking alcohol in the United States. It wasn't a cool time, man. Wasn't a cool time. But let's hear about it. Let's complain. Let's get drunk. Cheers. Alrighty, so um... You know, coming from a long line of drinkers myself, it's kind of hard to imagine that the United States ever was a place of sobriety, but there, yeah, for, I don't know how many of us participated, but for a while it was kind of not a long-standing practice. Um, For those who don't know, in the 1820s and 30s, you would see like a really huge wave of religious trauma wash over in the wave of the temperance movement. It was basically a movement where they said, hey, stop drinking and you'll be not such a huge violent slut. And people really ran with it. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of women ran with it. Could kind of see it, you know, maybe their husbands were beating them up and cheating on them and they used alcohol as an excuse. So we thought, let's get rid of the alcohol. We'll get rid of the cheating. We'll get rid of the beating. We're going to have a good time. You kind of, uh, we'll find out. It doesn't. By January 16th of 1919, you would have the 18th Amendment birthed by the hard work of our labor. And 36 out of the 48 states, yes, there were only 48 states at the time, Google it, would accept the new law and declare that Basically, you couldn't manufacture liquor, you couldn't sell liquor, couldn't produce it. Didn't say that you couldn't drink it, but basically made it like zero to impossible for you to be able to get your whole, your hands on liquor. If anyone was curious, I did find a fun fact that Mississippi was the first state to actually ratify this, while New Jersey, Connecticut, and Rhode Island were the last three standing. So, shout out to those three. But you would see just one year later the prohibition begin and basically, yes, by January 17th of 1920, drinking was strictly illegal. It 
you would get, I believe, like a small fine for it, but you definitely could not be doing it. Uh Uh-uh. No siree. Now for the flow of my storytelling skills, I'm going to skip ahead about six years to Christmas Eve of 1926. We're in a hospital in New York City. I'm going to butcher the name, but it's like Belouve. Believe. Believe that I said it right. Nurses and doctors are doing their thing, normal day-to-day tasks, when suddenly this man comes barging in. The man basically begins screaming, Santa Claus is chasing me! He's chasing me! He's got a bat and he's chasing me! And nurses are kind of dumbstruck because, one, Santa Claus doesn't fucking exist, but two, there's not even a man outside that kind of, like, resembles Santa Claus. There, He's just kind of, like, yelling, screaming irrational things that someone is chasing him, clearly in fear, and the streets are empty, no one is around. So they're kind of confused as to what's going on, thinking, well, maybe he's hallucinating or something like that. But before doctors, nurses are even able to lay this man down, calm him down, see what the heck is going on, he dies. And okay, maybe we could write that off, except later on that night, another person comes in with similar symptoms and then also dies. And then you get another, and then another, and then another. (laughs) I'm not even joking. It's not even for dramatic effect. Like by the end of the night, eight people were dead. And that was just at that one hospital. I believe in one article, 23 people that night in New York City were declared dead from this kind of weird poisoning that was going on. And there were well over 50, 60, you know how articles are with the numbers, but a lot more people sick in that hospital as well. And doctors were kind of dumbfounded. It was kind of like, you know, obviously the prohibition has been going on. They understand that people still do drink. It's been happening from time to time. Like not even a year prior, they had about five people die, but 23, that's a huge, I mean, like I'm, I do do math, but the conversions, like that's a big jump, big number jump makes your eyebrows rise. And I mean, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the fentanyl and the coke crisis that we're having right now. So it's just what is going on? What's going into this supply that is suddenly killing people in vast amounts? By the end of 1926, New York would lose over 750 souls with another hundreds of thousands of people said to have experienced irreversible damage. And the one common factor behind all of these cases was that these people happened to be drinking alcohol. Fun fact, maybe not so fun fact when you really think about it, but the annual per capita liquor consumption had actually gone up during the prohibition. It did begin at a measly 0.02, but we got it up. Yeah, uh, 1.2 gallons of alcohol, and yes, that is per person, was said to be consumed towards the end of the prohibition. And a lot of those persons be being the government, because you know how rich white folk are. There's always that one loophole that we gotta find. So which one did they find? Well, they found one in the Volstead Act, which is where you would find exemptions like, let's say the church's uh, little red blend of blood of Christ, or, you know, if your doctor, let's say, recommended a nice six ounce glass of whiskey before bed each night, then 
totally exemplified. You were totally allowed to have it. Uh, But just to put into perspective, the medicine route, you were allowed to have one pint of liquor every 10 days. And this would essentially cost the patient $3 in order to be diagnosed by the doctor. And then you would have to go ahead and pay another $3 for the pharmacist in order to get the prescription. Now, in today's money, that's probably like $300,000. But in 2016 money, it equaled out to about $75 total, which is pretty expensive for money. And looking at probably the people who had access to those $3, you can get the gist of who had to drink what. So if you found yourself being an atheist or poor, you were drinking the bootleg stuff. Now, the bootleg stuff was something indeed. Now, a lot of distilleries either really had the choice to go out of business or make this like denatured, denurtured, I don't remember the term, but it's like this ethanol, alcohol, that was basically made, it's like an industrial type of alcohol that was made to make things like perfume or I want to say like shampoos in one. I don't know, definitely perfume, but it was just like this really strong, almost like rubbing alcohol maybe is how I see it. Like it would you get isopropyl alcohol? I don't even know. But they would take this alcohol and basically use it to drink. (laughs) By the mid-1920s, I want to say, yeah, they had stolen about 10 million, 10 million gallons of industrial alcohol that was used and like converted into this drinking liquor that Americans would then go and consume. But let's be honest here, much like my need to find marijuana in Texas, there was a need in the United States to find alcohol. And find alcohol, people did indeed do. By no means was this stuff made to be consumed, just like, you know, we say don't drink rubbing alcohol, you wouldn't drink this stuff. It had a lot of toxins, it had a lot of like chemicals, like lead, a whole list of stuff that you just wouldn't want in your body, along with stuff that the government liked to add. Now, the government would say to add right now about 4% wood alcohol into the mix. And you see, wood alcohol has no distinct odor or color to it. So when you add it to something like industrial alcohol, it's actually pretty hard to say that, oh, I can tell that this is in here. Because when you drink it, it tastes exactly like drinking liquor would. But when you consume it and when your body digests it, it does a totally fucking different thing. And it is not cool. Because normally what happens when you drink alcohol is that you're taking this ethanol and your body converts it into, hold on, I have it right here, acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde. I'm not a scientist. Don't fucking come for me. I don't know. But it's basically this toxin that makes us hungover and makes us intoxicated, basically. But when you drink wood alcohol and your body digests it, it turns it into formaldehyde, which is somewhat naturally occurring, but when you take it in large doses, deadly. If you were to drink three formaldehyde drinks, basically, you would be blind. Any more than that, you could potentially be paralyzed and then killed. Duh. So it's a big fucking issue, and the government was just 
saying, hey, manufacturers, you need to add about 4% into every batch because the government was a little petty right now. She's a little petty bitch. The government was really upset that, you know, their idea of the prohibition, this whole temperance movement, temperance movement, who even cares, wasn't working. It, in fact, was kind of doing the opposite. Instead of lowering crime rates, it was raising crime rates because, duh, when you make a drug illegal, it does not stop people from doing it. It just creates a new market for mobsters like they had in New York to come and take in and create more violence and create this whole huge thing. So violence was going up, crime was not going down, and people were kind of pissed. As years would go on, people were starting to think, you know, this prohibition isn't really doing anything, and now we don't have alcohol to lull our pains from what's going on. This is kind of fucked up. We need at least one thing. You're not giving us weed. You're not giving us coke. You're not giving us meth, heroin, none of it. We need something to take the edge off. You're not going to do it. We're going to do it for us. And the government was like, fine, fine. Fuck you, we're adding toxins into the alcohol. And that's just what they did. So in it has been happening. Um, there was one article that was kind of like, haha, there's a rumor. No, the fact is, is that it's probably a, a lot more than 10,000 that we killed because the government had been adding shit into our shit for quite some time. But from what I could gather, it kind of started around the prohibition, but it really ramped up in the 1926-1927 year, which is when we saw that huge spike in all of the deaths that were incurring in New York. Because by 1927, the government was pissed that their toxins weren't working in the alcohol. And this is because us bootleggers, well, we're smart folk. We know what to do in times of distress. And that is we pay someone to fix our problems. So these bootleggers would give money to chemists and be like, hey, please. Uh, I think they would like redistill the alcohol. They did some chemist mumbo jumbo stuff and it worked. And it actually took out a lot of the toxins in this industrial alcohol and made it a lot safer and better to consume. When the government finds out that these bootleggers are hiring chemists in order to redistill the alcohol and make it more drinkable, the government goes, well, you know what? Fuck that noise. Add more wood alcohol into the mix. And so manufacturers would add more wood alcohol. It makes it harder to purify. And even if they are able to purify, it leads a lot more toxins into the liquor and whatever is being consumed by the people. During one of the raids that occurred in New York where they had confiscated some 480,000 gallons of liquor, when NYPD actually went and tested it, they found that 98% of that batch was tainted. And you look at this, and I'm smiling, and I'm sorry, but it, it... When you go and ask, I guess, I don't know who they asked specifically because it was the Treasury Department that I guess was telling the manufacturers that they needed to add wood alcohol into the mix. But when someone asked the government like, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you adding alcohol? And then when it wasn't working and you knew that people were dying, like, why did you decide to add more? 
their whole response to it was, well, we let it be known that we were adding wood alcohol into the mix. So we put poison in there. We told maybe one or two articles, didn't check on if everyone got the word, but you know, it's against the law and they shouldn't have done it. And we warned them and it's their fault and it's not our fault because we're the government. Either way, the following year, the annual death toll from alcohol poisoning would, of course, increase. You would see it go from 400 to 700 people, at least in New York. And by the end of 1933, it was said that a total of at least 10,000 people that we know of were at least killed by the poison that was added in the form of wood alcohol into the industrial alcohol that was given to bootleggers who later sold it to Americans. All for a crime that, if caught by authorities, would be a simple couple dollar fine to pay off. The prohibition finally, thankfully, ended by ni- by December 5th of 1933 when the 21st Amendment was ratified. And fun fact, the 21st Amendment to date is the only constitutional amendment in the United States that was passed for the pure purpose of repealing another amendment. How cool is that? So what lesson did we learn from this whole debacle? Uh, is that it's a good way to poison our people? <laughs> and to maybe not uh, consume products that the government has control over, which fuck is everything. Um, so in the 70s and 80s, you would see pot smokers. Thankfully, I wasn't alive back then. But the U.S. provided helicopters and money in order to aid in the spraying of marijuana crops in Mexico and I believe in Georgia. There was even some rumors that it was happening out in 2007, which was definitely my time. But they were spraying a chemical called Paraquat, which is known to be extremely toxic to humans and has killed many people. Um, But they knowingly sprayed on marijuana plants and their excuse was that, well... We said in one article that we were spraying these crops, so if someone didn't read about it, it's not our fault. And if you ask anyone in Hawaii or Flint, Michigan, you will know that, well, government isn't that great at making our water that clean either. And thanks to the recent Supreme Court shit I'm hearing about the Clean Water Act, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of worried, so... We'll see. Know who you vote for. Or catch rainwater. Except for that one town where there was really slimy rainwater. God, can anyone win? I don't know. I don't know. I was supposed to end on a good note. But, yeah, it's it's just, yeah. Um, see, this is where I need Sarah. I, I, I need Sarah to hear me out. In, outro me out. Um... Thank you, Shiner Beer, Ruby Redbird, for not poisoning your drinks. They are very lovely this evening. And until next time, guys, please pray that either Sarah comes back or I get better at these intros or outros. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe. Um, email us. Info is all down below. I'm, yep, yep. Bye. Drink your water. 
with a Brita filter. Fuck. 